did, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have your Bible, turn to our look for a Bible in, at a, under a pew chair near you and um, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing, obviously you figured out that the uh, sermon topic for this morning is about anxiety or worry. King James Version uses the word care, as in something that drags you down, the cares of this world type thing. Uh, frustration and discontentment. I was thrilled that the, the songs that Will picked for this morning, number of them had the word satisfy in. Because... That, that is, is a key concept in dealing with these three sins. Do I believe that I am, can be satisfied by the work of Jesus Christ? Can I be satisfied by the work of God in my life and the principles that he has given me to live by? That whole concept of satisfying satisfaction, I'm sorry, will come up over and over again. In, In the past, past we, we have looked, if you haven't been here, we've looked at a number of respectable sins. Sins that we allow in the background that take over our lives. For example, we looked at ungodliness. It's God is irrelevant in every part of my life in thought and practice. I am not intentionally uh, focusing on and depending on the Lord. We also looked at unthankfulness. It is not acknowledging to God that everything is a gift from Him, whether it's a hardship, a blessing, or a provision. Last week, we looked at sinful pride. Not pride in that I did a good job, but sinful pride is an inflated view of your own status and value and accomplishments with this added, that you believe you are more valuable and better than another person. We also looked at selfishness. Selfishness is being concerned only with your own personal interests, needs, and desires, and here's the key, disregarding the needs, desires, and interests of other people. That makes you a selfish person. See, it's not wrong to do a good job and feel good about that. It's not wrong to meet your own needs and survive. But in both cases, it has to do with the other person. Today, today, we're, we're going, going to go, go a different direction. direction. The, the topic of, of, of discussion for today has a couple of things that go with it. First of all, all three of these subjects, we allow feelings to be in control of our life. We do not believe in any practical sense that God is really sovereign and in control, and we allow the circumstances at hand to be the final word in how we see life and how we see the future. We're going to look at these three. We're only going to, the sermon's only going to cover anxiety. And there's a reason for that. Because frustration and discontentment are logically under the umbrella of someone who is anxious. Because if you are anxious, you will be frustrated. And if you're anxious, you will be discontent. So, let's... Look, Look back, back for a, a second. second. 
you, you say, what, what is he doing with a red fox on there? On there? Well, well, I think red foxes are really cool. cool. They're, They're nice to look at. at. Um, They're just one, one an animal. It's just fun to watch. Three weeks ago, when the encounter was here, I pulled into my normal parking spot, looked back here in the field, and there were two red foxes hunting probably for rodents in our back 40 here. Really, really a cool sight. I sat there probably in, in my car, car a little longer than I should have. I probably shouldn't have been there. But I was just watching that. Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, is where this all comes together. together. Because, because here's, here's what it says. says. And, and this is how it applies to our situation that we're looking at here. It says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that are ruining the vineyards. While, while our vineyards, vineyards are, are in blossom. blossom. Now, now notice, notice, the, the foxes, foxes are ruining the vineyard before harvest time. time. See, See, foxes do eat rodents and they eat insects, but they will eat berries and they'll eat grapes and they'll eat a lot of different things. And, and a fox that's going to ruin, normally ruin a vineyard, would come in when the grapes are ripe and eat the grapes. But, but that's, that's not what this verse says. says. It, it says the foxes are ruining the vineyards while they're in bloom. Foxes don't eat the blooms off of vines, off of grapevines. They don't eat the grapevines themselves. They only eat the fruit. Well, the fruit's not there. So how can the foxes be ruining the vineyard? I know a little bit. I grew up on the farm, and foxes like to find anything that has already dug hole for a burrow. They, they like, like groundhog, groundhog holes, holes and they'll enlarge them a little bit, bit and they'll have a den in that. that. Uh, or any convenient place where they can burrow under. And here's what this verse is saying. Is you don't see ripe grapes being eaten by the foxes. But they are under the ground and they are burrowing under and ruining the root system of the vines. A respectable sin. You, you don't, don't see, see the problem. problem. It's, it's not, not on the surface. surface. It, it doesn't manifest itself openly. It's happening underground. And, and that's why it's a cast those little foxes. They're, they're rooting around and they're tearing up the root system of our grapevines. Well, guess what? The things that we're looking at today, anxiety, frustration, and discontentment, are those things that may be undermining your life and the fruitfulness of your life as a Christian, as a believer. And maybe you don't realize it. In fact, is the whole concept of anxiety is known by the secular world as the mental illness that attacks more people than any other Possibility. The psychiatric problems of this world basically are translated back and uh, look back to anxiety and stress and worry. It is the number one mental disorder. I propose to you that it's also sin if it is out of control. By the way, anxiety like pride or taking care of yourself is not Sin. In, In fact, fact is, what do you call a person who has no stress or anxiety? Dead. Dead. That's, That's right. right. The, the only people in this world that have no stress, anxiety, or worries are dead people. people. So, so you don't want to have none. Because, because think about, about it this morning. morning. Your, your alarm, alarm clock went off. 
People have heart attacks, by the way, when the alarm clock goes off, not because of the alarm clock. It's just they would go from sleeping to now the stress. I'm late. Oh, man, I got to turn that alarm clock off. I don't really want to go to work. You know, all kinds of things flood in instantly. Your heart starts pumping. You know, but you know what? It's the anxiety. It's the stress that says, okay, get your butt out of bed and get moving or it gets worse. So stress actually propels us forward. So stress in itself or anxiety in itself is not necessarily sin. But when it begins to control my life, now it becomes a sinful factor. And it absolutely can become straight out sin. It is all the what ifs of life. That's what Missy was demonstrating here. The what ifs. Because as we look at some definitions, we'll see. That anxiety is this, the internal fearful view of the immediate or long-term future. What if? What if this happens? You understand, and you know this, is that most things you worry about never happened. The ones that get you in trouble are the ones you never even thought about. But when you worry about something, you are allowing the future to control your life now. See, See, when you're you're unforgiving, you're allowing the past to control your life. But here it's anxiety. It's something that never even happened yet. I'm not going to tell you it won't happen. And you should think about it and make some plans. But if it's controlling how you live today, that's sinful anxiety. And by the way, nowhere in the Bible does it say anxiety is sin. But I'll explain what I mean in a moment. It is absolutely not according to God's will. We'll see that as we go through the sermon. And so that's anxiety. Frustration is anxiety that you turn on other people. Frustration is the angry response to that immediate event that has blocked my plans or desires. Let's face it. Some of you work with frustrated people. You never know what's going to happen. Because, because they, they have allowed their, their own personal anxieties to just ooze out and it affects everybody. And, and they're, they're frustrated and they want to make sure that you know they're frustrated. And they take you down if you allow them to. That's frustration. And that's why I'm not going to talk much about frustration. Frustration just kind of fits right in with all the rest of the anxiety. And then there's discontentment. This is Anxiety Anxiety that that is unsatisfied. Listen Listen to what I'm saying. saying. It It is is the unsettled tension that arises from ongoing or unchanging circumstances, and here's the key phrase, that we can do nothing about. You know what? I have to tell you, and this this is not an anxiety for me, I had no problem going bald. I saw my grandparents, I saw my dad, I saw everybody else, and they're all bald as eagles. You know what? I knew that I was going to be bald. I didn't stress over it. It was inevitable. I'm getting old. Guess what? You can put on makeup and you can do all kinds of things and you can fool yourself into thinking you can stay young. Guess what? You might change a little bit of looks with some paint in the outside and a few other things or Grecian formula or whatever. You know what? It's not going to make a difference. You're going to get old. That's just it. And if you're discontent in that direction, there's nothing you can do about it. You You will will be a very unsatisfied type of person. Did you notice that the opposite of somebody that's anxious or frustrated or discontent is somebody that simply has decided God's not in control? You know what? I don't get my own way. And they indeed become the kind of person 
that, that eventually is fearful over everything. everything. And, and it begins to control their life. Their life. And, and they, they have no visible means of getting out of it. it. It's, it's no wonder it's the number one health, uh, mental health problem, not only in the United States, but everywhere, but specifically in the United States, because we expect somebody's going to have a pill or a shot or a procedure or something to cure everything. Somebody's going to invent something new and it's going to cure this. It just doesn't work that way. Try driving your car and think that, uh, you know what, I've got a car here that runs on no gasoline whatsoever. That's not the electric car, Bruce, but, you know, it's, you know what, you're going to have to put something in there. Because guess what, you're going to be really disappointed with that car if you think it's going to run on nothing. It just doesn't work that way. We need to get reality check and this sermon will do that. The biblical concept of anxiety, worry, or care is always couched in two specific other words. Distracted and divided. You will see in a number of passages in the Bible where it's talking about cares or worries or anxiety that it uses divided and it uses distracted in that. It's not the same word, but it does come from that concept. You see, I am, when I am anxious, a double-minded man. As James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded means I'm trying to live in the world, trying to do my own thing, trying to do it my way. It's got to be according to my plan. But at the same time, I say, yeah, I believe God, I trust God. That's a double-minded person. Because after a while, you don't know who you are. And And yes, yes, you will end up being anxious. You will live in the fear that comes from being an anxious person. It'll be all the what-ifs. And so biblically, it's the sin of having a divided or distracted mind. I am distracted away from living by faith in God. I'm trying to do it my own way. And that will absolutely land you in big trouble. It will be the little fox undermining the roots of your life. And it will bring about a fruitless life. Because let's face it, if the roots get ruined, you don't have any grapes to worry about. And that's what happens with anxiety. And by the way, when it gets to the point where it's self-propagating, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm afraid because I'm afraid I'm going to be anxious. By the way, that happens. I've had people hyperventilate in my office to the point they passed out because they, they go that far. That's a panic attack. An anxiety attack has to do with your mind. The, the anticipated future. But a panic attack has physical symptoms. Missy was demonstrating some of the hyperventilation and all those other things that go with that. And we need to understand that we need to come back to a biblical view. Now, I'll have you turned to Matthew chapter 6 on purpose. Because Jesus, of all the subjects that he preached on, he preached a mini-sermon on this topic. And you'll find that topic starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. All of you know the passage. You've heard it probably dozens of times, but let's look at it one more time. Maybe in a way you've never actually looked at it before. A biblical view of anxiety. 
starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more according to Jesus, than being preoccupied by the things of this world. He said, you know what? If you're doing that, you know what's going to happen? Your mind is going to be so cluttered and distracted. What if I lose my job? What if my car breaks down? What if my wife leaves me? What if my children rebel? What if, what if, what if, what if? What if I don't have something to eat tomorrow morning? What if this happens? What if that happens? We get so distracted by the things of this world. But as I mentioned before, this is a subject where it doesn't say anxiety equals sin. It never says that anywhere that I'm aware of in the Bible. But the way this is written, it's simply saying this. I am commanding you not to be worried. In Greek, it's imperative, which simply means it's a command. Jesus is saying, my command to you is do not be worried. So at the minimum, it is disobeying a command of God, which I think that's pretty close to sin, about as close as you can get. Because worry lands up controlling you, and he's saying, don't be preoccupied by the world. I'm commanding you, don't worry. That is not the way I want you to live. Doesn't, doesn't mean you shouldn't go to your job tomorrow morning and work hard. And it sh- doesn't mean you shouldn't plan ahead. It doesn't mean any of those things. It simply means those things are not going to control your life. Fearfully hold you in bondage about what might happen in the future. Number two, look at verse 26. Look Look at at the birds of the the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? If we are anxious type people, what we are in essence doing in a practical way is saying, God doesn't care. I'm not valuable. God really doesn't concern himself about me. He says, hold it a second. There are birds. They can fly. Didn't you wish sometime you could fly? It's one of those dumb things. Maybe only guys do that. It's like, boy, wouldn't it be neat to be able to fly and you could do this and that and the other thing? None of you seem to react. Maybe I'm goofy. I don't know. But, but whatever. You know, you look at it and say, I wish I could do this. He says, well, birds can fly and you can't. And uh, as a result, he says, don't, don't, be a wor- don't worry about that. Because, first of all, your heavenly father... They can fly, he feeds them, they don't farm, they don't harvest, they don't do any of those things. But he says, you are worth way, way more than them. Yeah, John. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe you ought to get some of that medicine, John. But anyway... <laughs> okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll talk, talk later, later, John. John. Anyway, anyway, but God, God says, says, "Hey, you're more valuable than any of my other creation. You, you are valuable. God cares for you." By the way, we'll see that in a future uh, verse that we look at. God cares for you. 
But, but if, if I don't, don't believe that and don't, don't practice that, that guess what? what? I'm, I'm going to be anxious. anxious. I'm, I'm going to fear for the future. future. Number three, God controls the things we cannot change. Remember, we talked about that in, in contentment. Look at verse 28 and uh, through 30. Why are you so worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, the plants of the field, which are alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Notice this is an act of faith. Almost every one of these respectable sins has to do with not living in dependence. Faith on God. Not trusting God. And he is saying here, you know what? By the way, nobody, nobody has ever done this. Don't come up and do it to me after. Nobody has said, Paul, you're as pretty as a rose. Nobody has ever done that. On the other hand, we have observed flowers and we said, wow. I mean, look at the colors, look at how they're put together, look at all of those things. Even Solomon, who had everything you could think of, nobody said, hey, Solomon, you're prettier than a rose. They didn't do that. Why? Because God says, look, look what I've done. They're beautiful, but they didn't have to work for it. I just did it. And then we go, oh, but I don't know if God can meet my needs. You know what? You're You're going to be anxious. anxious. You're going to be fretting or worried about the future. You're going to be fearful of future. That's what happens. You will also uh, not be content in where you are now. Let's look at number four. You know what? I skipped one. So that was the last one. Worry, lack of faith. Back up. I got the wrong one. Sorry. God God controls controls the things we cannot change. change. Worry, uh, hang on. on. Worry Worry comes comes from from the things things we cannot change. change. Where in the world? Oh, Oh, sorry. I am at the right one. one. I skipped verse 27. And who of you can be, uh, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? That's a hard one to translate because it says Cupid and then it gives age. It's not unlike the language we use today where you say someone was beaten to within an inch of their life. An inch doesn't have anything to do with your life. Well, that's what it's saying here. Is that not one single step in your journey can you lengthen it. In other words, our time on this earth, we don't determine how long we're going to live. We don't have that option. We need to trust God for all of those things. And that's all it's saying. Number Number five, five. starting at verse 31. Do Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, when we live in anxiety and worry, we have come down to living exactly the way the world does. They are concerned about what's happening today. What about me? What is going to happen tomorrow and the next day? It's the the one who dies with the most toys wins. The farmer who had the bigger barns to make sure that he was going to cover all his bases. 
That's the way the world, unbelievers, live that way. He said, when you live in anxiety and worryment and discontent, you're living just like the world. But he says, I have a better way of looking at it. You seek my kingdom. God's will for this earth. You seek my righteousness. Living at his standard for us as his children. He says, and then these things will be added. See, all the things of this world that the world strives and lives for, he says, Oh, oh, by the way, way I'll give, give those to you as a benefit package. package. You, know you know what a benefit package is. You get your wages, and then you get health care or whatever else, a retirement plan or whatever. He says, you know what? I've got the best benefit package you could ever have. Because the things that the rest of the world strives for, lives for, I just give you that because you've chosen to live by trusting me, putting my will first, and living according to my standard. I'll give you the rest of it. Wow! Does that take some anxiety off? It sure should. And then there's one last thing. It says in verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Remember I told you nobody lives without some anxiety, some worry, some care? This verse proves it. It says, you know what? Guaranteed. I don't care what decision you make or how great and how spiritual you feel today. Tomorrow, probably before you get to work, probably before the kids are off to school, probably before whatever, you're going to go, oh, no, I have to deal with this. I can't believe that person did this to me. I can't believe. You know what? He says it has enough evil, trouble, wickedness of its own. Has enough of those things that are going to bog me down. Every day has it. But here's how I deal. And here's the biblical view of anxiety. I deal with today. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what he says. Step by step. Moment by moment. Day by day. He did not say there aren't hardships. He makes it clear there are. But if you take all the hardships of tomorrow and next day and next day and next day and retirement, you know, and you bring them all into one, nobody, nobody can handle that. I can't handle it. You can't handle it. Because you're taking all the future and putting it on today. One of the things that I will tell you, it's been a long time since I've been in college, and all the college students will probably appreciate this, but I can remember no matter how long I was in college, and I was 36 years old when I took my last college course, every time the teacher came out, the prof came out and gave the syllabus for that quarter, I had a panic attack. Not a panic attack that I was breathing hard, but it's like, man, I can't do this. I am not smart enough to do this. There's not enough time to do this. And it would take me literally two days so I go, hold on a second, I have 14 weeks to get this done. I have four papers. Okay, well, you know what, that's a paper every other week. And I have five, five exams. Well, you know what? And you know what, by the time I brought it back, it's like, you know what, this is what I have to do this week. And this is, you know what, I planned it out. There's nothing wrong with planning. But that would just bring me anxiety like nobody's business. And Greek class was the worst of all of them. You know, because I knew I was going downhill on that one. But you know what? He, he says, says, don't, don't worry, worry about, about tomorrow. tomorrow. 
Tomorrow we'll have enough anxiety of its own. That's what the word care means there also. Same word both times. He says, each day has enough trouble. So yeah, tomorrow you'll have trouble. This is no pie in the sky stuff. There'll be anxieties. But here's what you do. You're going to deal with them. And that's the rest of the sermon. Biblical cure for anxiety. Now, I'm going to be skipping all over the place because there's a number of other passages that deal with this. So if you're taking notes, and I hope somebody is, uh, just write these down. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, is a huge one. It's the one I use all the time in counseling. And so... We keep our focus on God's person, who he is. For example, it says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Oh, and by the way, again I say, rejoice. You know what? That's back to that godliness thing. I'm going to focus on who he is. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Notice. If I'm going to deal with anxiety, I need to appropriate to my life that I can rejoice in who God is himself and know that he is near. In fact, is if you're a born-again believer, he is not only near, he's inside you. He also makes it clear that in, in verse 8 of that same chapter, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We focus on who God is and what God says is good and right and proper. That's where I start. So I have a mindset and I have a focus on who God is. Not, Not what, what God, God can, can do, do for me at the moment. moment. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that one. one. But who God, God is himself. The second one is we need to confess anxiety as sin. As, as I already mentioned, mentioned it tells us by command, don't be worried. Well, it's not only one time because you could kind of dismiss that. But God makes clear in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. says, be anxious for nothing. He says, I am commanding you, do not worry about anything. If you use King James, do not be careful for anything. Don't worry about a thing. But by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding or comprehension, shall guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus. So we need to look at it as like, this is not God's plan for my life. And if I have allowed anxiety to control my life, I need to confess that I have left something other than God himself rule in my life. But the second part of what I just quoted is this. How do I do that? I pray about the situation. Whatever it is. See, See, anything anything that causes you to be double-minded or distracted, he says, bring it to me. I can handle it, you can't. That's exactly what he's telling us. And then he says some really neat things. He says, the peace of God, the tranquility, the harmony that comes from knowing God is in control. That now takes over my life. And then he says something. He says, he will guard our hearts and our minds. The word guard is the word that was used for a Roman garrison of soldiers. They would encamp around whatever they're protecting, a city or whatever. He's saying, God will put a guard, a garrison of soldiers around your life. I don't know what that is going to be, but he can put anybody or anything there he wants. 
And then he says he guards our hearts and our mind. When heart and mind are used together, when heart is used just by itself, it includes the intellect and the emotions and the will. When they're used together, they have a different meaning. And only this way. Because it says, I will protect your emotions and I will protect your thinking. That's what it's saying. Because let's face it, I started out by saying we let our emotions and our circumstances control us. And he says, if you bring it to me, and I've actually almost yelled at people where I say, because I keep telling them they were anxious about something. I mean, really anxious to the point where they were not functioning well. It's like, you bring it to the Lord and you let it there. And about three days later, they go, the Lord didn't do it fast enough for me and take it back. And I just, one night I remember, one afternoon, the phone, I said to somebody, take it to the Lord and leave it there. You know? Why? Because when you take it back, you're saying, I, don't, I, I really don't think God can handle this. You know? That's what we need to do. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Leave it there. Only He can handle it. I couldn't handle it to start with, so why take it back? My way didn't work to start with. But He sure does. So we need to pray about the situation. Take it there. Leave it there. And when you leave it there, He says, okay, and I send a guard. To protect, protect your, your emotions, emotions and, and your mind. mind. Choose, Choose to, to trust God. God. And, and uh, I'm in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, the second word cares there is a different word. simply means that he is of... He, he is interested in you. It's a little different than the other word. It says, you take your cares, the worries, and you cast them to him. You go, you go, you know, good riddance. Here they are. Take them. That's what God wants us to do. We trust that he alone can handle them. See, we keep coming back over the same types of things. I didn't say this is easy. I'm just saying, this is God's way. One other thing, we need to know our limits. And I'm going to do this rather quickly. But you know the story from Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting there at Jesus' feet listening to him teach and, you know, talk about God and do all kinds of things. Mary, Martha, I'm sorry, was distracted with all her preparations. Mary gets mad. She is frustrated. She says to Jesus, tell her to come over here and help me. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried, that's our word, and bothered by so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. See, the thing is, it wasn't wrong to prepare, but she had wrong priorities. She didn't know what the limit was. To her, that's all that mattered. She said, keep it in. That's a very practical thing. Know, know who you are. Know, know who you're not. Don't, don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't, don't compare yourself with somebody else. You, you do that, that you're going to be worried, frustrated, discontent. discontent. All of them. And, and probably, probably multiple on top of that. that. And, and then, then, then you'll quit and say, you know what? I'm not good enough, so what's it matter anyway? And one last thing. One very, very practical thing. And there's a lot of other things that we could talk about. But one of the things that should be true, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, it's talking about spiritual gifts, our abilities given to us by God. He says, have the same care one for the other. That's a command to us. Have the same care for one another. 
Here's, Here's what, what I challenge you. Very, very, very practical. practical. Look, Look around. See the need that someone else has. And be distracted to help that person. I'm going to tell you what it'll do. It will change your whole thinking. You go, yeah, I really am valuable. I really do have something to offer. I really can help somebody else. And what it does is it gets you from looking at yourself and worrying about your own future. But you look and you say, I can actually help somebody else. I can use my teaching ability, my serving ability, whatever it happens to be. I can use that to lift up and encourage and edify somebody else. That's very, very practical. I tell people that are depressed and sometimes so depressed they can't even work anymore. I said, whatever you do, go down to the nursing home and just ask them if you can serve cold water to the residents. Anything that you get out of bed in the morning and you have a job to do and when you're done you feel like you've accomplished something. You know what? Spiritually, it's the same thing. We have a responsibility to be distracted to meet the needs of other people. Sounds a little bit like love, does it not? It's a very complementary one to that. So get out of your pity party. By the way, not all anxiety is simply a pity party of yourself. But you know what? You might have made it that eventually. But look out for other people. And then you realize that other people... Well, they have needs, too. They have distractions. They're they're double-minded. And then you start realizing, oh, maybe it's not just me. Maybe this is the common lot of life. Remember? Tomorrow does have enough trouble of its own. And it does. I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. By the way, before you leave here today, it might be a problem. I don't know what it is. All I know is God says, I can handle it. But if you're obsessing, and controlled by the fearful future. You're living in anxiety and worry. You need to confess that as sin. And you need to appropriate the things that God has made available to you. Tonight, we continue here Sunday evening. We're going to talk about some of the secondary issues dealing with anxiety. Because there's a lot of things people ask me these all the time. What do I do? You know, I'm all anxious. Should I go to the doctor and get medicine? Should I do... We'll We'll talk talk about about a few of those things tonight. We won't talk about all of them, but we'll talk about a few of them. And we'll look at the biblical principles and how they apply to those types of things. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you're a God that absolutely is before us. You know our needs. And we know you can be trusted. Lord, I pray that... Anyone who is here today and has allowed anxiety, worry, the cares of this world to drag them down, to control their life, that they would confess that as sin and live in the freedom that comes from knowing that God is the one that controls the future, that God is the one that guards their hearts and their minds, that God alone has an absolute plan that is valuable for their lives. And Lord, you have made each of us exactly who we are. And you use us from that beginning to glorify yourself, to deal with our own problems, and then, Father, as we just saw, to reach out and help others who also have a need. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God God bless. bless. Go Go with with God. God.